The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Allons-y. I'm sorry. It's French. Well, let's go. This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. On this podcast we travel all of time and space discussing Doctor Who in a completely random order. It's a brilliant idea. It's so simple only you could have thought of it. Oh. I'm the Doctor. These are my new best friends. It's the entire universe on Shuffle with your hosts. Eric Goldbranson. Asad Heshke. And Matthew Kressel. I'm the Doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. There's something you better understand about me, because it's important. And one day, your life may depend on it. I am definitely a madman with a box. Well, now we're getting somewhere. More like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Police Box of the Junkyard podcast. My name is Eric Branson, and with me, as always, my uh, good friends and co-hosts, uh, Asad Keski and Matthew Kressel. How's it going, guys? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm doing all right. Good. Uh, what's new and exciting with the two of you? It's been a month or so since we spoke last. So. Yeah, a little over. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I had uh, Convergence in Minneapolis, which was a lot of fun, as always. Um, only one Doctor Who panel that I participated in, Doctor Who and The Division. Um, discussion was had, and um, yeah, so it was fun. How did that go? I know you, were, you weren't you were sure exactly what shape that was going to take the last time we Actually, talked. Actually, it, it wasn't too bad. Um, Good. We had one, uh, there were just three of us up there, so one uh, person was in classic who fan one person was a new who fan and um just by interesting coincidence uh, i had just been watching the deadly assassin so i was all up to date with the celestial intervention agency and uh, oh, good <laughs> so, yeah i feel like that that's necess- <laughs> necessary homework for the division panel since they're just kind of an ad- um, adaptation of the same idea kind of but, yeah, yeah so but uh, of course at the end of you know, it's just one of those things though because probably it'll be difficult we just still have to wait and see what happens at the end of the Chibnali Ryan there's anything further to do with division before we can right probably discuss it in more yeah. finality <laughs> which we have a date now right October um, right. at some yeah. point yeah I guess we don't have a date we have a month yes yeah. <laughs> so sometime well, we, in that centennial month like yeah, yeah we <laughs> Yeah, there's going to be a week of special programming for the BBC Centennial, and we know it'll be somewhere in there, but they haven't announced when, when that week is or what date it's going to be on, so it'll be one of four. Right. Uh, how's life treating you, Matthew? I'm doing okay. I just got back um, the other night from Florida. I went down uh, over the weekend and stayed for a few days down there in the Cape Canaveral area for around the timing of the first proposed launch date for the Space Launch System, uh, which is supposed to carry the uncrewed Artemis One uh, mission to the moon and back, uh, the beginning of our journey back to the moon, hopefully. So I went down there, I had a a buddy of mine into all things space who had booked a double room and apparently had somebody who couldn't go or something, so he was kind enough to invite me to go down there. So I got to... Finally, mark something off my bucket list and spend a spend a couple of days down there, waiting for the launch, which got scrubbed at eight eight thirty <laughs> something in the morning. Yeah, 
Exactly what you want to hear after you spend four hours on a bench by a river, you know, so you can have good seats for the launch, but it's okay. I mean, you know, that's the thing with ever going to anything that's going into space. There's always a million things that could go wrong, and in this mm-hmm. case, it was a faulty sensor connected to one of the engines. Um, yeah. But I got to do a couple of museums down there, including the big Kennedy Space Center complex, which as we were talking about um, before we started recording, is kind of this fun cross between a museum and a theme park, which is kind mm-hmm. of the last thing I expected. But it was it was a lot of fun. They have the Space Shuttle Atlantis is there. They've got one of the Saturn Vs from the Apollo era that didn't fly. And as a result of the launch, um, I actually could actually went outside at one point at the Apollo Saturn V Center, and there was the rocket still on the launch pad, three about three, three and a half miles away. So... Of course, I had to get lots of pictures uh, of it and with it. So, and yeah. hopefully, um, just to kind of date when we're recording this, the second scheduled launch date is coming up tomorrow morning. So we'll we'll see if it goes up this time. So, listeners, yeah, write in and hoping. let us know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers um, crossed, right? So yes. it'll probably be old news by the time you're listening to this. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. yeah. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're on As launch will... number seventeen. In those. Yes. <laughs> as well, whether I won uh, the Sidewise Award for 2021, because it's being presented this weekend at uh, Worldcon in Chicago. Uh, so nice. Um, I have no expectations of winning, so either I'm going to be proven right or very, very wrong. So, li- well, this, you, yeah, listeners, you're it, in the future, so you know better than I do. <laughs> I was going to say, in this case, let's hope this once that you're very, very wrong. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Time will tell. It always <laughs> right, does. Right. Yeah, well, it's it's awesome even just getting getting the nomination and mm-hmm, yeah. Just, mm-hmm. uh, um, I don't know. I I usually leave a few minutes here at the beginning of the of the show to do a, some news bits, but I don't really have much, and it could be just because I've been a been busy. But I feel like there's not much uh, besides that we talked about the date, the air date for the. Um, Centennial special, which will be Jodie Whittaker's last outing as the Thirteenth Doctor. Um, it's so weird. Yeah, I mean, they've been. I think the other podcasts that I listen to, they're also kind of people are. It's like R- Russell T. Davies doesn't want to steal any thunder from the coming uh, right. special, but people who made the special aren't talking about it either. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, they. And and it feels like the date the Davies crew the the you know about to take over crew of people kind of really rolled it back a little bit as this gets closer. So not I mean I think intentionally not to steal their thunder, but yeah, there's just no fanfare. And it's like I I know I mean it's if you pay attention to you know the internet or whatever you might believe that the Thirteenth Doctor is not that popular, but it's really not the the case. There's a lot of people out there that love the show, and and there's even you know that that group of fandom that this is this is a favorite era of theirs and are sure. sad to see it ending. Yeah. So I, I'm a little, um, disappointed by the, the BBC. And I don't know if this is something you can blame on the actual production crew, but like just the lack of energy and excitement that they have about promoting this stuff. And I feel like it was through the past few specials too. Like, it's just kind of like, eh, it's on, watch it if you want. Kind of like, here's yeah. a trailer a couple days before no fanfare, no real like build up to it. No advertising on, you know, any media outside of BBC One. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like... kind of weird. I mean, it's not like Doctor Who hasn't been in this position before, but that was when the uh, powers that be were pretty dead set against it. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know what the situation is now. Um, 
I tend to suspect in the case of this special, it's because it's the BBC centenary thing, and, you know, the BBC likes to play these kinds of things close to their chest, and I imagine they're worried about being upstaged by, like, ITV or something, so they're probably trying to, you know, keep what when that week of programming is going to be as far off as they can, just so that ITV doesn't drop who knows what into there to try and steal their, steal their thunder and steal, steal their ratings. I have yeah. thought for the last year or so now that kind of Doctor Who's problem is, ironically, the same problem that uh, the most recent James Bond film, No Time to Die, had, which mm. is that in some ways there's kind of a feeling on some level that these are long-running franchises and they've got a built-in fan base. How much publicity do these things actually need? Yeah. You know, Are and, they pulling any new fans in yeah. with the publicity? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Um, and it could be... I mean, I think with No Time to Die, a lot of what happened to... Th- that fizzled because of the COVID delay on it, right. too. It just went it just went on and on and on. Like there's like four, of, yeah, there's like the four or five different release stay, dates then, before it was over yeah. with, and it actually came out. Yeah, and certainly that affected, you know, the, the last series of, of Doctor Who um, as well. I mean, I, I don't think we would have gotten flux in in the form it is if if, you know we didn't have lockdowns and the whole um, pandemic situation i think we would have gotten a much more conventional you know regular yeah 10 to 12 episode series 10 probably they've been doing 10 but well um, we know that there were storylines and stuff that were scrapped because they were suddenly limited on how much filming they were they could do and indeed episodes themselves were affected during filming by people coming down sick and whatnot so yeah yeah so it it certainly, and not that everything was going perfectly at the end of series twelve, but they certainly had, you know, had to deal with. They were throwing a curveball just like everybody else. And, yeah. Uh, it, it seems to kind of have changed the trajectory a bit, and I do feel like, and I don't want to speculate or put words in anybody's mouth, but I do feel like maybe at some point the bad press or the negativity and all the the stuff got to some of the people, perhaps Chris Chibnall himself, because it feels like at some point. They just kind of went, okay, we're done. <laughs> like, we're yeah. just not going to, like, put the effort into it. Maybe they're just disappointed. I don't know. I hope not because, you know, I don't wish any. I don't wish anything negative upon any of the people involved, obviously. it's. I mean, Chris Chibnall, I think, has always been a little more reticent than the prior two showrunners, even, like, yes. the monthly Doctor Who magazine columns and all had uh, mm. fizzled, had, uh, gone, had gone away. I shouldn't say fizzled, yeah. but just yeah. just went away. <laughs> so yeah, because uh, yeah, he started off doing them. He was doing yeah. the monthly column, and then no was, announcement or anything. He just kind of stopped. Yeah, so. it was around the time I think series ten aired, or no, series eleven, excuse me, aired. And I yeah. think that some of the reactions to that may have may have you know had to do with that. Again, not wanting to put words in anybody's mouth. It'll be interesting, you know, 5 10 years down the road, you know, when hopefully people are where, you know, there'll be enough distance there that we can right. look back on it. And also people are a bit more willing to speak out about the situation. I mean, we we didn't know about the nightmare that was Stephen Moffat's, you know, trying to do the 50th, for example, till 4 or 5 years after the fact. Right. You know, and at one point during the 50th anniversary year, he was trying to write a script with no doctors in it cuz nobody was under contract. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I need to read this story. I don't think I've read this story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, yeah. It's, I mean, it's that's an insane story in its own right. Yeah, there was um, Tennant didn't know if he was going to be available. Smith's contract had run out at the end of series seven, 
So Smith had to be put under a special contract to come back and do the 50th and Time of the Doctor. So there's, and, you know, they didn't know they were going to be able to get Eccleston. And so there was a script that was apparently written, or at least there was an idea that was pitched to the BBC. That, because the BBC wanted a big name to come in and do it, which is how we got John Hurt. But Mm -hmm. at one point, when it looked like they might not be able to get anybody in... There's a reason why Name of the Doctor ends the way it does, and it was so Moffat had a bit of a loophole. Whereas Clara could pop into the universe and the Doctor would be gone, sucked up in his own time stream. And she would have to kind of remember him back into existence. But she would get some of the details and stuff wrong, and they could drop in celebrity, various celebrity Doctors until they got either Smith or one of the other Doctors back. Oh or the boy. next, or who the new doctor would be. It was, it was yeah. apparently, it was one of those ideas for like you know a day or two before they, while well, they got the contract situation sorted. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's that I'm would glad be, they did. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that that would have been wild. Um, yeah, so it's kind of like what he did at the end of Curse of Fatal Death with a with the celebrity right. drop-ins and the yeah all the different doctors and. Oh, yeah. Man. Hugh Grant, yeah. Joanna Lumley, like yeah. As if Curse of Fatal Death wasn't already a blueprint of all his ideas for Doctor Who. <laughs> that right. would have yeah. been a bit <laughs> <Right>. too much. <laughs> he had to get every one of the ideas from there in somewhere. So yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, as a writer, I can tell you, you never let an idea go to waste. <laughs> Even the bad ones. Yeah. yeah. Well, is there uh, anything else you guys have? Um, Doctor Who wise, it's been on your mind or seen or found any interest in. Yeah, it's good. The last uh, part of the, uh, at least I think it's the last part of the uh, Fugitive Doctor comic. I picked that up today. I haven't uh, read it yet, so. No, okay. Yeah, I haven't been following that. I read the uh, first issue, I think. So whatever the free comic book day one was, I picked okay. that up. <laughs> um, and I meant to. I was like, ooh, this is I. I would. I liked it, and I was like, "This uh, this is going to be interesting." And I haven't followed up yet. But usually with the Titan comics, I've been wait. I usually wait till they bind them into the right. you know yeah. uh, graphic novel size ones and buy them then. So yeah, that's been my plan probably, with it. Yeah, I'll hopefully pick that up at some point. Yeah, it's, it's been entertaining, but um, again, it's like uh, this just the whole thing about not knowing much about where you know what what the fugitive doctor or where she fits stuff like that so um, yeah so yeah i think it's interesting giving her some story now we're gonna get big finish right yeah with her as well so <laughs> not just with yeah. her but the the shot the sasha dewan master as well so that should be yeah interesting. Right. yep <laughs> so they're gonna start off their 13th doctor era stuff with a bang there that that should be cool we'll, we'll pretty soon we'll probably know more about the fugitive doctor than we know about the 13th doctor knowing the way big finish pub stuff out so <laughs> and now we take a quick break to let you know about some other excellent podcasts that you should check out do you collect doctor who do you have doctor who items and you don't know you collect doctor who for all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. With a popular feature like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, there's a lot of fun to be had. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. 
Hello fellow time travelers and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and every two weeks or so I'm joined by a two to three person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Allison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitchers, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast on the Direction Point Podcast Network. I'm Juliet. And I'm Nathan. Experience Doctor Who from the very beginning through a classic fan's eyes. And through the eyes of a new Who fan. Reminisce and relive those classic moments with Nathan as he offers fun insight. Or experience them for the first time with Juliet as she dwells on social issues, history, fashion, and the size of a flashlight. We're the Time Streams Podcast. Find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard. Are you ready to travel through time with us? Then check out Traveling the Vortex, a Doctor Who podcast. For nearly seven years and more than 500 episodes, we've traveled from one end of the vortex to the other, making different stops with different doctors, reviewing everything from TV stories to audio plays, from books to comics, and more. Sean, Keith, and Glenn take you on a journey through 50-plus years of Doctor Who episodes and spinoff materials. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to check us out. And now, we're a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. You're listening to Police Box and the Junkyard Podcast. Speaking of Big Finish, I suppose we should uh, get into uh, the episode that we listened to for uh, tonight's show, which is an eighth Doctor adventure uh, called Orbis. Doctor Who. Orbis. Come on. Come on. Connect. No. He died. I saw it six months ago. Shut up. Once I had a ship. What? Hold on. A ship of time. Bigger on the inside than the out. What do you mean? We are here by legal right. Hurry! We are here, old doctor, old friend. It is all swirling around a bit, lots of bipedal hominids, lots of screaming, shouting, slamming of doors. I've got to hand it to you, doctor. When you mess things up, you mess them up big time. Lucy Bladen Miller! I stopped running away from the bad things a long time ago. I fell. Bigfinish.com Actually, the season debut of his third solo series for Big Finish, I believe, um, uh, released March of 2009, um, obviously starring Paul McGann as the Doctor, Sheridan Smith as Lucy Miller, um, Andrew Sachs, Laura Solon, uh, Katrina Olson, Beth Chalmers, Barry McCarthy as Janos in it, so... Uh, get you a short synopsis of that one. Um, the Doctor has fallen to his death. His companion, Lucy Miller, has returned to her life on Earth, grief-stricken. And then, one night, an alien visitor arrives at her front door and shoots her. Could it be that Lucy's days with the Doctor are not over? She will only find the answers on the planet Orbis, a planet where all life 
all forms of life are facing violent extinction. So, yeah, that's our back cover synopsis there. So, um, Sorry, I usually uh, do the written and directed by, but it was written by Alan Barnes and Nicholas Briggs, directed by Nicholas Briggs, and sound design and music by Andy Hardwick. So, um, yeah, Orbis. So, um, what do you guys uh, think about this one? So this was a big... Um, big season uh, premiere because they, they had kind of cut these into season type. They weren't box sets yet back then, but a season of episodes. And obviously there was a big cliffhanger at the end of the second one, which funnily enough, I've not heard the end of the second series, right. but I've gathered, <laughs> oh, I've gathered some details here about um, no, I don't think I ever made it all the way to the end of the second. I started the second. don't know why I got distracted because I was enjoying that run and yeah, I've not I don't think I've heard, and I know this is the first time I'd heard Orbis. Um, I don't think I'd heard the end of it. I, I, I gather that he had a showdown with Omega and was uh, well, was Morbius. Nice Morbius. There. Oh yeah, sorry, <laughs> Morbius. You are correct. Sorry, wrong, wrong. Time, evil Time Lord. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. There are a lot of them. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So we start this story uh, where Lucy believes that the Doctor is dead and she um the season one foe from their um i keep calling them seasons it's it's technically the eighth doctor series one big finish whatever Mm -hmm. Um, i'm sure there's a fan approved abbreviation out there that i'm neglecting um they they um, like to call them edas which is confusing because of course there's the book range yeah, it's like the I always think of the yeah, Eighth Doctor Adventures as being the BBC books, but okay, we'll call them the Big Finish EDAs then, I guess. So, um, yeah, the Headhunter returns here, uh, played um, as she always is by uh, Katrina Olson. So, um, and uh, yeah, literally, as we said in the synopsis, shoots Lucy with a a, a time uh, bullet of some sort that's going to wedge its way into her, but slowly. Um, unless deactivated by the headhunter, slowly kill her. Um, sounds like she's kind of in control of the, uh, the weapon. And, uh, the headhunter is, wants to find the doctor. And so that's how we get the big, like, oh, he's alive. And then, so, anyway. Um, yeah, what'd you think about this one as a, kind of a big, and the, the big pickup after, like, what sounds like it was a pretty big cliffhanger at the end of season two? Uh, well, I mean, uh. It was easy enough, I guess, to pick up on what happened at the end of uh, last season uh, without having a recap. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's one of those 50-minute uh, adventures. I figured I'd have an opportunity to listen to it twice and uh, get it ready, but I-, I could not bring myself to go back to listen to it again. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> one and done. I did listen done. to this one. <laughs> listen to this one twice but um i actually and not that i'm encouraging you to do so but i did i do think my second time through i enjoyed enjoyed it a bit more but yeah 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 i first listened to it a few years ago when i did my big eighth doctor run and i had heard the it was actually a two-parter before the sisters of the flame and uh vengeance of morbius because it was big finish did this kind of weird thing and it, the reason it was done this way was because they were broadcast on BBC Radio 4 Extra originally or it was originally mm-hmm. Radio 7 became 4 Extra. Yeah. And right. so that was why these were split off from the eighth, the 8th Doctor main range. 
And though the main range, I think it kind of run out because it had been Eighth Doctor, Charlie, and Kara's for a while, and they eventually wrapped up those storylines. Mm-hmm. Well, as, as much as Big Finish wraps up any storyline, anyway. <laughs> yeah, because um, we're getting more Eighth Doctor and Charlie as we speak, aren't we? Is that a that's a new thing that's coming? Yeah, we well, we had a box set back in January, and it was kind of oh, set okay. between their first and second seasons there. So that was that was a fun little blast from the past. Um, see my review <laughs> of that at warpfactor.com. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was that was kind of the thing there. So I heard this originally a few years ago. This was my first time listening to it since then, and I have to say, my feelings about it now are a little bit better than they were then, because my feelings about it on first listening was this is a very strange story especially from a tone point of view um the the tonal shifts in it feel a bit less jerky listening to it this time round um but it is this story turns on a dime in terms of tone and whatnot and it i don't think it does it any favors whatsoever yeah and to dive a little bit deeper into what this one's all about, because the, 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 the blurb on the back doesn't really do it justice, is the Doctor. We have an amnesia story, which is not a new thing to Doctor Who. We've done this before, obviously, uh, for better or worse, mostly better. Um, like, you know, um, Human Nature and uh, Family of Blood or whatever. Um, the Paul Cornell story is obviously a good example of, you know, a Doctor amnesia story. Um, and Even this, a whole this bunch one... of the Eighth Doctor novels, right? He yeah. yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, he <laughs> the the poor through. Eighth Doctor in virtually every medium he's appeared in has had an amnesia bout. You know, there was a TV movie when he couldn't remember who he was yep. for a good yep. chunk of it. There's the novels where he gets stuck on Earth for a while, and even when he gets back into... Sp- gets the TARDIS back and goes into space, he still doesn't quite remember things, and there's already been, yeah. at this point, two or three big finish audios where that had happened, and it's like, I don't know why, yeah. I don't know what it is with writers in Paul McGann and Amnesia, but good grief, people. He's just good at sounding, you know, confused, like he doesn't know who he is, you know. He started off that way, I mean, it's just an instinct, because that is the plot of the the, the movie that yeah. is his debut, so... Right. But yeah, we catch up with the Doctor living on the planet Orbis, uh, where he is known as the Old Doctor because of the jellyfish creatures that he spends his time with have such a short lifespan, apparently. They think that he's an ancient, you know, creature. Uh, he keeps reminding them that he's not that old, but, which is funny that that's a joke repeatedly, because compared to our human lifespans, actually he is pretty old, but that's, uh, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. I'm not sure why that's, like, a running gag in it, but, um, he is essentially playing, um, having a a living life here, kind of helping out where he can with the Keltons, the race of the jellyfish people there, called the Keltons. And, um, you know, um, he's... It's a lot, actually a little bit like Time of the Doctor, when the Doctor is on the the Christmas planet, or on, is it Trenzalore, or what, Christmas planet? Trenzalore, yeah. Um, yeah, um, and, you know, just stays there for, for many, many years as the personal protector of this, you know, village in, on Trenzalore. Uh, very similar situation here. It sounds like he's been kind of the protector. Or you get you get a little bit of here and there that he's um, protected them from their... Uh, a, a predator race that has attempted to invade them in the past called the Malascari that uses the um, Keltons as a food source. And... Uh, num num. Yeah, so that's kind of where we find him. He's kind of tinkering around with things, but he thinks he's lost the TARDIS. He doesn't really have his memory. He has some. It's like a selective memory, but he doesn't remember, like, a lot of the context of uh, 
I, I don't know if he remembers who he is and where he's from. He certainly knows he's the Doctor. He certainly remembers the TARDIS and then he's lost it. But he has no idea who Lucy is when she shows up. Uh, he's lost that part of his memory. So um, doesn't remember the Headhunter really until he sees her. And yeah, so those things. So the things that happened in the prior two series are definitely lost on him. Um, he's been living here for I think they referenced like 600 years, and yeah, just kind of being being the doctor still, you know, do gooder helping out the 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 Keltons with their problems and um, on the verge of another a return invasion of the Malaskari than the Headhunter and uh lucy show up to kind of make things complicated for the doctor and um yeah so so that's a little hopefully gives you a little bit better sense of what we're doing story-wise here because yeah the the synopsis wasn't wasn't very descriptive but it concentrated all on the first two minutes where lucy is you know shot and drug off on this adventure but um so yeah like uh we i guess as um what do you guys think about just the the you mentioned this Matthew but this thing has a really interesting mix of th- styles going on like the story with um the doctor and his um companion-esque uh character um Celta who's a right. female of a female Kelton and his relationship with the Kelton people, and then you have Lucy and the Headhunters kind of thing going on, and then you have this uh, um, leader of the Malaskari, uh, I have to remember how it's pronounced, Crestria? That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Go with that. (laughs) Yeah. Who is a um, hermaphroditic crab-like creature, I believe? They're, They're... they describe them as there, like Oscar, uh, like oysters are, or mollusks. Mollusks, yeah, so they're like the molluscari, molluscari, I guess that like makes sense. So, naming um, school of I don't I don't know George Lucas or Terry Nation, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think it, it it yo-yos too much? What is it about it that I I know I, we're all kind of like grumbling a little bit, but what is it about it that doesn't feel right about this adventure? The way it kind of kicks off. I don't know that it's necessarily how it kicks off so much as it is how it ends actually that I mm-hmm. that I have issues with. Yeah, it, the but it, rough. but tonally throughout it, it's kind of a weird one because you know there's a fairly standard, you know, Doctor Who story going on. I mean the Doctor's exiled, but you know, is in exile, he doesn't have much of his memories. Um and it's the eighth Doctor, so he's got amnesia yet again. So there's sort <laughs> of a there's it's which is you know, almost par for the course for him at this point. So you know, there's a semi-traditional story going going on there around the Doctor. There's, you know, what feels like universe-ending stakes with the Headhunters and Lucy as the Headhunters, Headhunters explaining that, you know, there's all this stuff going on and she's got to find the Doctor and the TARDIS and everything else. And then you get to the so the, the Mollusk, however you pronounce it. Molluscari. Molluscari, yeah. thank you. <laughs> and it's just, yeah. and it's pure comedy right yeah. there. <laughs> Um, Especially the the I'm gonna just say Castria. I no not Castria, yeah, Crastria. Castria, I think. Played yeah, by Andrew, Sa- played by Andrew Sachs, aka yeah. Manuel from Faulty Towers, and also um, um, Skagra mm-hmm. from the uh, yeah. Big Finish Shot yeah. Up as well. So I mean, on paper, it's this one. This one probably looked like it was gonna be you know a home run season opener. 
listening to it a few years ago and listening to it again today, because I actually listened to most of this while I was mowing the yard, mm-hmm. it's I, I'm still struck how strange it is, because in some ways, right. you, you there's there's no sense of threat for a lot of it. I mean, the Moliscari are, are meant to be kind of this threatening, they're going to arrive on this planet and everything else, but given how laughable they are, right. you know, it's kind of yeah. hard to take them they're seriously. They're not very scary. Not at all. Actually, the way that they come across when they first come, before they actually say that these are Moliscari, I thought these were like the mentors, because they sound yeah. just like <laughs> They do silly. kind of, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> I think, well, actually, right from the start, when the doctor scenes, this is one of the examples of, like, the weird tone that's around there is that, like, one of the first things that happens is that they come in and they said that, oh, we've had, like, this collapse and in a nursery and younglings are, are dead. And it goes on to this joke about, well, you know, I'm glad I told you not to, like, eat your <laughs> dead people anymore. <laughs> <That's> yes. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Remember when I told you you shouldn't eat your dead yeah. people? Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. That's a, okay. See, because they're making a joke about this. That's a, yeah. It's kind of weird. Uh, things don't get much yeah. better from that point. A yeah. lot of his his um, interactions with Zelta are kind of. I know they're trying to do like the Doctor Companion King thing with those two and give them like a rapport, but it almost sounds like most of the time the Doctor's kind of poking fun at their society and her yeah. and yeah. like. And, and, and right away, that kind of puts a bad taste in my mouth because it seems... And I know he's lost his memory here, but his character's supposed to still be intact. He still kind of knows he's a Time Lord. And he knows, you know, his general. Right. He talks to her, like, in the first five minutes about how he ran away from his society. So he remembers his history up to a point. Um, and then... So that kind of clashes very much with him... I don't know, just kind of being pompous elitist like yeah, he's talking yeah. about how much that he left the time lords because of that and then at the same time he's like talking down to the keltons right. very it's like it just right away doesn't seem very doctory like it's uh yeah and i usually really enjoy the way that alan barnes writes the eighth doctor like a lot of the comics are really good and um a lot of his work for big finish i think is good and so i'm not sure where this weird right. characterization came from and maybe he was playing this playing the card that you know he lost a little bit more than just his memories and you know whatever happened to him in his showdown with morbius but they definitely don't get that across to you in the um in the narrative right and the weirdness continues into the second part is as well when he's reunited with lucy which i know why they they did what they did with him not remembering her but there's some stuff towards in the want to say the final quarter of the story so basically the back half of the second episode there's some stuff that happens to Lucy and the Doctor's kind of reaction to that and indeed getting into Mm. the the ending proper whereas I'm just kind of sitting there going okay I know Paul McGann is playing a character called the Doctor but it doesn't feel like Paul McGann is playing the Doctor if if you know what I mean yeah Yeah, because by by this point we're we're all very much used to the Eighth Doctor. I mean, Paul McGann's played the Eighth Doctor quite a bit for Big Finish at this point, and if we're listening, uh, which you assume most people have listened to some of it, but they get to get to this point in the series, um, this does not seem like the same Eighth Doctor here. Like, it's very... I mean, even even towards the end, um, when he's supposed to be back to himself, he's just kind of a... I don't know, like lackluster. He's a bit of a downer, even. And I know it's got a, it's got a downer ending, yeah, but... Yeah. That's to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just, 
I don't know. It's a weird way to kind of launch into this new season. And I was a little bit annoyed with the, the Lucy, the Doctor Amnesia thing, first of all, is total, like we've talked about, is, is repeat, rehash. Um, the Doctor and Lucy having to get to know each other all over again. Like, we just we, we just covered their, their first adventure with Blood of the Daleks not too long ago. And essentially we're going through the same thing all over again. Uh, and this is, you know, time-wise, we're only like a season later, or two seasons later, yeah. I guess, exactly. But, um, yeah, it kind of seems like, oh, we don't really need to go through this getting-to-know-each-other thing all over again. And, and I don't know how it, how it proceeds from this, since he does recover his memory. Hopefully they drop that, and <laughs> they're back to back to where they belong. But, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it seems like there's a lot of... A lot of rehashing older Eighth Doctor ideas here, and just I don't really find the Keltons or the Maliscari to be that compelling of a like conflict that's going on. And I know the main conflict or the main thing we're supposed to be worried about is the universe ending. Um, Morbius is oh I forget what they call it, but the thing that the the Kelton moon is not actually their moon. Um, Another stellar manipulator yep. business Some, going yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> that's going to, you know, destroy the universe and all this. We don't get a whole lot of details about it. It's a Time Lord, you know, evil Time Lord device. Um, well, it's because it had all been of, used in the, last few, in the previous two episodes before that, or specifically I fig- Vengeance of Morbius. I figured so. there was some... Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, and another thing is, like, the stakes just never get... Like, it feels like the stakes of that should be very high, especially now that you've mentioned, Matthew, that it's connected, it is connected to the last, which being that it was Morbius, I assumed it was, mm. but um, they just, the stakes never feel that high. Uh, the only person, the only group of people that has have stakes here, I suppose, are the um, uh, Keltons, who are all going to be not only eaten, but tortured, because right. to make the meat the proper, um, you know, the the most delicious or the most delectable, they have to actually torture them for a certain period of time prior to boiling them or whatever they're going to do to prepare them. Yeah. Which uh, is the straight out of the, so which is straight like, out of the Andragums from the two doctors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, it reminds me of Andragums. Um, but it, I guess what I'm getting at is like, it just, the stakes are never that high. And then to take the stakes that never get high enough and then throw an ending at us like we get is just, I don't feel like it's even fair. Like they didn't earn like to do to pull a downer like that. Right. I feel like you have to have some emotional investment in what's going on for it to be really effective. And the saddest thing about it is the doctor's supposed to be really upset at the end of this story, and I I can't be there with him because honestly I don't really care that much, and that sounds terrible. But it's like, or does he know. seem particularly upset? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. I'm all for the you know the doctor messing up sometimes, but uh, right, this was just a bit uh, just a bit much. <laughs> yeah, it. I just don't feel like it was earned, or if it was, if it wasn't earned, it was um, it just wasn't executed well in this in this case. Yeah, but I mean, as you were saying, there's nothing wrong with the doctor failing from time to time. I mean, Inferno, which is one of the the great stories of classic Who, is based you know that whole mm. middle portion of its story, and the stakes are raised because the doctor doesn't save the parallel world, and when he comes back to the normal, you know, Doctor Who universe, that the stakes are high because we've seen what will happen. Right. Or, indeed, Time of yeah. the Doctor, for that matter, you know, even though there's, in some ways, it's overly crammed as a 60-something minute special. You know, you at least had a sense of stakes at the end of it about what was yeah. going to happen to Trenzalore, you know, and the, indeed the death, the potential Doctor's death. 
I think the dip problem kind of here is, and we want to make comparisons with Time of the Doctors, Time of the Doctor told us that whole story. It Yes, it did it very compressed and a lot faster than it should have. But it told us the story of the Doctor getting there, the Doctor realizing the stakes, and the Doctor making the decision to stay and defend these people at potentially the cost of his own life. And I don't know if this is because the stakes in Vengeance of Morbius were as huge as they were. And Vengeance of Morbius has its own problems for a similar reason, funnily enough, to Time of uh, Time of the Doctor in that it crams a lot into an hour. Yeah. But there's no sense of stakes. There's no sense... We know the Doctor's been here for 600 years. But we don't have, I think, a yeah. sense that he has been, if you know what I mean. Yeah, he there, he doesn't seem emotionally invested in the way you would think. Like they they pull that off nicely, and, and then you know, like like you said, there's there's some issues with time of the doctor when it comes to trying to accomplish too much with too little screen time. But I think that that script does a good job of at least building up his even even in the short like montage way they do it. Yeah. But they make it you know they. Right. they you could tell that it means something to the doctor. Like he's there, he has purpose. He's protecting these people. He's um, in this one. He's kind of snotty and talks down to them a bunch, and then in, insults their culture. And um, I mean, and as yeah, I said, I only listened like... <laughs> to it once, so like I don't think it's particularly clear that why exactly has he been here for six hundred years? Because it's not like this is uh, you know this this is a society that has communication with space and presumably yeah, yeah. access to travel and so invade, so. <laughs> yeah i mean you know you'd think he could do the inter do the intergalactic equivalent of sticking his finger out and hitching a ride somewhere i mean you know right yeah they make it seem because he doesn't have a tardis that he's stuck for that long but yeah they're obviously the malascari have technology that allow them to collect their, their clam ships which is another thing their ships are called clam ships um yeah just any yeah yeah, the whole thing kind of leaves a bit of a bad taste in your mouth, I think, for um, trying to think uh, second act stuff or second episode stuff that's uh, worth talking about because we kind of did a bunch of the um, the setup, and that's most of the first episode. But I feel like the second episode is pretty much a whole lot of nothing happens, and then it suddenly ends. So yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. um, it's a lot of ca uh, Crastria being... It, the the way that Andrew Sachs plays this character is in in the right context could have been very amusing, but it was very weird in this story because the story's kind of on the dark side. But then this performance and a few others don't exactly fit that tone. Like it's very like you said earlier, it's very comedy. Um, it also I think when listened to in uh, twenty twenty two is a little bit. Um, Maybe not 100% PC, the way he deals with the... Uh, and this isn't the script. I'm not blaming Andrew Sachs for this, necessarily. But um, the, the transitioning male to female wow. um, uh, isn't handled with the most tact. It's not necessarily... It's, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. It's, it certainly could have been worse, but it's not handled with the, the most tact. for Especially for Doctor Who, it seems odd to have something... Uh, modern Doctor Who, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> it seems odd to have something that kind of... Um, but, yeah, I'm just trying to think of good, like, moment. I'm trying to, like, rescue moments of the second episode, but it all kind of blends together until the end. And the end is very... It's it's a big downer. It's very abrupt what happens. I think you think the Doctor's going to, you know, right. pull, do what the Doctor does, and then all yeah, of a sudden... Said he's he, just he got us standing around while, I don't know, yeah. all yeah. sorts of massacres are happening around it. Like, yeah. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> 
I can't do anything. <laughs> I mean, uh. yeah, there does seem to be something in this run of Eighth Doctor audios at this point with Lucy Miller. And then, in retrospect, maybe this is part of why I've never really um, had a much fondness for this run, even though there's individual stories which are great. But there's, you know, you go back to Blood of the Daleks or, you know, even Human Resources as well from the previous, from that first season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and some of the stuff that happens in in the second season, including Vengeance of Morbius, there's a, there's a lot of attempts to kind of mix this kind of um, the kind of the serious and the serious with the comedic, and it's something that they keep trying to do, or they keep going for the really dark as well. I mean, we we, we you know, Blood of the Daleks was full on apocalyptic dystopian, you know, for example, yeah. and I think that they tried to lighten the tone here by bringing in a bit of comedy. And I just don't think that it works at all. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I, I have to wonder, because it's very unusual for Big Finish stuff to be written by two writers, and for both writers to be credited anyway. And this yeah. one is yeah. written yeah. by both Alan Barnes and Nicholas Briggs, who are the basically the showrunners of the 8th Doctor Lucy Miller run. And I can't help but wonder if one of them took a crack at the script and couldn't quite get it to work and handed it to the other one and said, okay, I've done what I can with this. Do you want to polish it and finish it? And I don't know which bits are which, who wrote what, but I couldn't help but think, listening to it this time round, going back and forth across my yard, that there were scenes that felt <laughs> like that they had been written by one by one writer, followed by scenes that had been written by another writer. I don't know how much yeah. of that is the case, but it certainly it's... feels like... There's mul- There's a lot of cooks in this in the kitchen for this one, and the ingredients don't quite mix. I think that's as good of a hypothesis as any for what, you know, why this feels kind of jarring. And you're right, I, I did notice there were two, you know, two credited writers on this, and that's unusual. Um, kind of unusual for Doctor Who in general, but definitely for Big Finish. Um, it does have a very... It's not, it's not narratively unconnected, but it, it yeah, it's style-wise, it's it's jarringly uh, for just from piece to piece, it goes all over the place, and I, I think that's as good a guess as any of what, what could have caused that to happen. Because two two very capable writers, by the way. I mean, this is not written right. by schlub schlub nobody who yeah. you know <laughs> like, uh, we we've listened to and we've enjoyed other stuff by these yeah. writers, um, you know, many times over at this point, so. They can't all be zingers, as they say, and that's fine. Um, I'm not, you know, Alan Barnes and, and uh, Nicholas Briggs obviously have proved themselves time and time again. Just didn't really stick this one. It's it's a, a bit of a mess. Yeah. And, and I, think it's a, I think it's a good guess. That's We've seen what happens, uh, you know, um, in uh, movies and such when, when that happens. You know, mid-production, you lose a director, they fire a director and bring someone else in. It always ends up being a mess because you just have this... Right, it's it's two different people's um, vision. I should say always, every once in a while they. Pull I was going to say, I think uh, Rogue like, One is a perfect example of that, where most of the Rogue film was one shot is, by one director a, who uh, wasn't available for the reshoots. So they brought in another director, and basically they reshot <laughs> the whole intake. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Rogue One was the reason it came across my mind. It, that was the reason I walked that back, and from always because I was like, oh yeah, that movie actually ended up being very good. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so. Yeah, um, guys, have, I, I I hate to be so brief on, on this kind of, but 
I don't have a ton to say that I really uh, feel is worth going into. I, th I liked a couple things about this, um, if just to be on positives. I thought the idea of the time bullet was kind of cool. Um, not so cool that it you know saves the story or anything. It plays a minor role. Um, just a, a, a bullet or a projectile of some sort that could uh, slowly... Um, kill someone and give them a time, a certain amount of time. There's um. They should have really called it like Chekhov's time bullet. It literally appeared yeah. right in the first minute. And <laughs> right. Uh, there's an old. I'm not gonna remember the name of it, and I know I you're kind of into some of this stuff, Matthew. I don't remember, but there's a, an old like 1940s or 50s film noir movie that has a similar where somebody's been the the main uh, private detective or the main you know hard boiled detective has been shot. And it's like slowly inching his way, or maybe he's poisoned or something. But anyway, throughout the whole movie, he's dying. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember the, the title the, for like, the life of me. Ah, uh, me neither. <laughs> but anyway, it kind of reminded me of that. Only that aspect, and I, and I, that was one of the things I kept thinking is that they had played that aspect the way that that you know old movie did. That could have been really cool. Like we saw most of this adventure through Lucy's side of things, and she's kind of racing against the clock. It's like, whoa, we have a whole new angle and i think that might have could have energized some of the story but then you have the, the you know the weird villain in the, in the Malaskari. you have the return of the headhunter which i don't dislike the headhunter i actually quite liked her as the big bad in in the first series but to have her kind of just and i don't know if she pops in the second at all but um to have her just kind of pop in out of nowhere um is weird <laughs> i can't just uh and, and and that very well could be that that's my 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 knowledge gap of not having heard the second half of the second series. So yeah, she yeah, she but... pops up in the final scene because that's the cliffhanger of Vengeance of Morbius is the Doctor goes tumbling off into eternity somewhere with Morbius to presumably to his death. Um, Lucy goes back to her normal life and Lucy comes home one day and it's it's the very first scene of this. In fact, is the, is the the final scene of the Vengeance of Morbius. Of, yeah. You know, walks in, don't say anything. What? Speaking counts as, you know, moving. Wait, no, pal. Um, that was literally how it ended. So, there is a, there, in that respect, there's a slight recap at the beginning of this. So, but she, yeah. she, as I recall, I mean, it's been a few years since I listened to the listened to the run, but she doesn't pop up at all in the second season outside of that. So, huh. yeah, kind of interested. Yeah, I don't know. It just feels. I wasn't so overjoyed to see her again. <laughs> like, I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Any, anything else that you guys um, have that we didn't touch on? We didn't, um, I don't know if we touched on a lot of it, but, man, it's, it's we got the main plot points, and that's really all I have because <laughs> I don't have much to gush about here. It's just. I mean, I hadn't, I'm not, I uh, haven't heard too much well, or anything of the first or second eight Doctor seasons, other than what we've listened to for the uh, for the podcast. So, um, uh, so I, yeah, I guess unfortunately, I wasn't. <laughs> unfortunately, so far we've hit two stinkers. The Blood of the Daleks is a pretty good one, but yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, Phobos was uh, just okay, I guess. Pretty bog yeah. standard stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but uh, it doesn't sound like I necessarily, yeah. Missed uh, major elements of related to the headhunter or anything like this. I mean, this story also ends with another, like, uh, with a little 
tag yeah. of headhunter doing something yeah something sinister but... which again which again is all just kind of a, a rehash from that that's how <laughs> the first season of this series is is um she kind of drops in here and there and you get little bits and put together and then yeah and the big the finale oh, oh she's you know been this the villain or the person that's been watching following them all along and uh, I've always compared it to, and I think we talked about this a couple times, but to the way Missy has dropped in little bits throughout season eight. Mm-hmm. Um, very similar to the way they handle the headhunter in the first series of this. And then to have her come back, and then at the end, you get, they just start the whole process over again. It's like, oh, well, we're just retreading that as well. So Yeah. I mean, makes I'm, me... I'm looking at the TARDIS uh, fandom wiki, and uh, like, I don't know. Series three, they have the headhunter featured in Orbis, but they don't have her listed in any of the other episodes of well, series three or series go, four. But... So I don't. Know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so. um, there Ugh. there's some there's some interesting ideas here. I I love the idea of, of Orbis itself, the planet, and the Keltons. I mean, it's, they're they're just a really interesting idea, and it's one of those things. As are the. The whatever the mollusk things are, whose name I keep forgetting. Um, the molluscari. Molluscari, thank you. Yep. Um, you can tell how much I like this story. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the ideas here are really kind of interesting. and I But I think that, you know, in a different story, if you put any of those ideas into a different story, I think you'd have ended up with something perhaps that would have been a better listen. I think that the way they're put together here is kind of the problem with it. And I think it's it's three ideas that don't really go together, tossed together. Um, and also they've got to pick up from a an almighty cliffhanger from the previous story as well, which is, which I, you know, when I was still doing from stories from the Vortex, we did review um, that two-parter that ended the previous season. And I have to say, we didn't have a, a very high opinion of that story kind of either. So... I mean, the, mm. I think that people love the Eighth Doctor and Lucy together, and I think as a result of yeah. that, I think sometimes people forget that there were some there were some clunkers in yeah. their run. I think that there's people who act who I think look back on it with a certain false sense of nostalgia, which is weird because these stories aren't really that old if you think about them. Um, right? No, two thousand nine. They're not not too ancient. Um, yeah, and I'm one of those people that loves the Doctor and Lucy together. Like, I think this is a good Doctor-companion pairing. I, I tend to really like them. However, I think I've heard more stories that... I won't say that I don't care for, but that are just kind of... I'm kind of lukewarm on in, in their run than in than the averages of other Big Finish runs. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's It's... If this is this again is another thing that I think bugged me a little bit about this one is it feels like it was just another attempt to keep them apart, right. you know, giving giving the Doctor amnesia and them having to do this whole getting to know you thing all over again. It's like, well, we first of all we've seen this before. Second of all, um, I don't know they worked so much better as you know the arc of them being kind of begrudgingly stuck together and eventually becoming to together you know coming to appreciate one another, becoming friends eventually in the second and. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just to take it all back out of that, and hopefully, hopefully we forget about that as we move on in this series. I'm hoping that yeah. they do if I get a chance to listen to it. But um, yeah, and then yeah, I mean, I know when we listened to Blood of the Daleks, we kind of compared the Eighth Doctor and Lucy to the Tenth Doctor and Donna, and yeah, it would good. be like if they had done the library two-parter, 
with more comedy in it, and then when Donna came back out of the computers thing, if she'd come out of it and she had forgotten who the Doctor was, and they had to become friends all over again. And in yep. some ways, that's kind of, that's as we were sitting here talking, that's kind of how I feel this story kind of is. It's basically, you know, let's take this great companion team up and let's start it all over again. And it's like, that's that's <laughs> not, I'm not, I, it, as a writer, I often say these days, as a writer, I can understand bad decisions better. And I can understand the kind of intent there. And I think part of it is, this is the beginning of a new season. And mm -hmm. it's the beginning of the kind of end of their kind of run together as well, because some stuff's going to happen coming towards the end of the season, but also their, the quote-unquote Christmas special of um, Death in Blackpool, I think it is, which is going to cause them to kind of separate for a little while. And I think yeah. that they're trying to build up to that. And also, you know, by doing the two of them not really knowing each other all over again, you know, if you have new listeners coming in who go, oh, this sounds interesting, or, oh, so-and-so's in this story, I'd like to hear, what's this one about? Or, indeed, people listening to it on Radio 4 Extra, who just happen to be tuning mm -hmm. in because, oh, it's Doctor Who on the radio, who knew that was a thing. Yeah. Um, that it would be kind of newbie-friendly in that regard. Right. And I think the and problem with that is, is that when you do something like they had just done the previous season with the Morbius two-parter. You set yourself up for having to do a lot of picking up the pieces again. And you can either pick up the pieces or you can tell this or you can tell a story that's newbie friendly. You can't do both at the same time. Well, let me rephrase right. that. You can, <laughs> but you, it's a very delicate balancing act. <laughs> You end up with Orbis. Yeah, you, so, en yeah, so. you end up with okay. Orbis. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's not like For All Mankind, which is the Apple TV uh, alternate history show, which if people aren't watching, I highly recommend. Oh, yeah. The mm -hmm. It's great. Yeah, the basis of which is that the space race never ended. But one of the things they do is that each season takes place in a different decade. So the first season took place in the late 60s into the early mid-70s. The second season is set in 1983. This most recent season is set in the 1990s. And what they do at the beginning of Seasons 2 and 3 is they basically do a newsreel montage that kind of brings the v any new viewers up to speed about, well, here's Orb and D people who haven't watched the episodes in the last year between seasons. And they bring them up to speed with, well, he here's what's happened in the show last season. Here's what's happened in our alternate universe where everything has happened. And now we're going to get into the story proper. And I think that they yeah. needed something like that here. You needed a little bit of that sense of history, as we talked about earlier, that the Doctor has, in fact, been here for 600 years. Because, you know, even if it was just him falling out of the sky and being found by somebody's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother or something, mm -hmm. um, you know, and having a sense of the Doctor arriving and whatnot. Actually, that's what it is. Uh, Stargate SG-1 had Daniel Jackson leave at the end of Season 5. He pops up a couple of times in Season 6. And Michael Shanks, who played him, comes back as a main cast member in Season 7. And the way they started that season off was they literally started with him suddenly appearing out of nowhere with no memory of who he was. And eventually the whole first half of the opening two-parter of the season is based around a threat to the planet that he's on and Daniel Jackson having to learn to be Daniel Jackson again. That was what they needed to do here. They needed the Eighth Doctor to become the Eighth Doctor again. 
And they needed the yeah. Eighth Doctor and Lucy to come together once more and to be friends again. And I think that's what they tried to do. And they didn't quite succeed. Yeah. Yeah, maybe there was because of its... Yeah, and you bring up a lot of really good points, and I'm, I'm just really kind of reiterating, but um, because of the fact that it was... Um, aired on BBC four. Maybe they thought they had gotten a little continuity heavy at the end there. They're doing a little bit of a soft reset here mm. is, um, you know, kind of, kind of going back to basics, but like you said, they, they needed to really ground the eighth doctor and, and br- have him get back to the basics of character, wherever they thought they had gone with, uh, not necessarily gone wrong, but basically keeping, trying to keep the show accessible in a way that it, you know, if you were a new listener, you just happened to tune in and, picked up a piece of this that you could get into the action and follow along um, maybe this is a way a way a conscious effort to break out of mega continuity like big heavy <laughs> continuity pieces so but, although yeah. i think uh yeah for, for a newbie seeing uh, the doctor fail so spectacularly at the end might not be something you'd want to come yeah, back to I... watch <laughs> or listen to and I don't think it was the worst idea in the world. I do think this might have been not the right story to attempt yeah. something like that yeah. with. So Yeah, I think, as I said, there's a lot of good ideas here, but I think the execution lets them down across the board. Right. Yeah. It is interesting. I was looking at some uh, different fan reactions to this one, and uh, Kyle over at... Um, Doctor Who reviews that I read, a lot of his big finish reviews from time to time... Um, Seems to like this one quite a bit. Gave it four stars, which is interesting. Um, called it a an offbeat story, but also uh, says that it achieves everything that a big uh, season opener is supposed to, thanks to strong, strong performances, direction, and sound design, and salvaging the ending of the Morbius encounter. So... Not sure what he listened to because it's not the same thing I did. <laughs> I was thinking that, but I wasn't going to say it. As always, I'm always happy that you know somebody got something out of it that I didn't because it's uh, yeah four four star review is uh, being very generous to this one, I believe. Yeah. But well, uh, this I I suspect it's been a while since I looked at the reviews of it, but my I've got a vague memory that this was a very Marmite one. That you know, there was opinions are very divided on this one, or maybe maybe this is a bit. This is the one of those stories that really kind of separates the wheat from the chaff in terms of whether you're yeah. really an Eighth Doctor Lucy fan or just more of a, a general Big Finish listener. I don't mm-hmm. I don't really know, but my memory of it now that we're talking about it is is that this was one. The reviews were very mixed um, at the time. Yeah, rightfully so, I guess so, but. Um... Yeah. Does, uh, do either of you have any final thoughts on this one before we go ahead and close it up? Give it our own review. We know what Kyle's was, but um, any last thoughts on Orbis? I don't, don't, think, I, I don't think I had any other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I listened to this one twice, uh, as I try to do with the Big Finish ones, uh, especially when they're like shorter uh, Big Finish and I do, I do admit, I enjoyed it a bit more the second time. Um, maybe just because I my expectations were set properly. Uh, but that helps. Yeah. Um, yeah. The first time through, it was tough, and I also feel like more than I, I tend to listen when I'm doing something very, uh, 
Matthew, like you experienced today, I often listen mowing the lawn or working outside or doing something. Um, and good stories, I will never, my attention will never float off elsewhere. Uh, this one, the first time through, I found myself missing. Uh, and it's funny because we went back through it today and it, we really didn't talk about this part of the story. But like my memory, like basically chopped off half of episode two. Like I couldn't even really remember. It was just like, I remember Ca- uh, Castria or whatever the, the, the villain's name is. I remember lots of yelling and kind of a goofy performance and that's all I really remember about it. And so I'm like, I got to listen to it again because I... You know, I just really didn't soak that in, and I listened to it again, and ended up the second time kind of coming off with the same, the same thing as my attention in in episode two is just not there. So, it it obviously is. I I'm gonna blame, it, but with the second listen, I'm gonna have to blame it on the show and not myself, just not paying attention. But yeah, anyway. as I as I said, this was only my second time listening to it, and the first time I listened to it was probably seven or eight years ago, and I suspect it will probably be another seven or eight years or longer before I will come back to this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is the first one that we've covered on the show that I, I, I was, you know, everything we did on the show, I was making sure that I was, like, adding to my collection. I did not buy this one um, on CD. I just bought the download uh, for the first time, and maybe that was a wise choice in this case. <laughs> but, uh, but... Anyway. Um... So yeah, I was uh, since we all love the Malascari so much, let's go ahead and rate this one out of five Malascari. Uh, what do you? What would you uh, give to Orbis? Out of five, uh, I don't know, maybe a one. <laughs> I did not enjoy this one at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Matthew, what do you think? I. Th- I'm probably being generous. I think I'd give it about a two and a half. Because, again, the ideas are interesting. I think it's the execution that lets them down. Whether that's because of two writers having a go at it with different approaches or what exactly, I don't know. Um, You know, McGann's always good. I mean, McGann can even make Minuet in Hell worth listening to. So, well, Nick Courtney's in that. Nick Courtney and India Fisher are in that one, too. And the three of them are are a joy to listen to. but I think even when even Paul McGann can't salvage something, you know that there's an issue. And I think that, and it's not that any of the cast members are bad. I think everybody has been in this, you know, had done other, it's worked yeah, on Big Finish yeah. doing other stuff. Yeah. Andrew Sachs playing Skagra, for example, in Shot as we talked about earlier. Um, and of course, the Eighth Doctor and Lucy's chemistry are, are really there, and McGann and Sheridan Smith are wonderful, but the way it's written, it doesn't bring out the best of their chemistry either, so. Yeah, there's, and they don't get to spend much time together in this either. Yeah, so. I mean, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of shots taken and a lot of misses, but you know, it's it's not the worst thing I've ever heard, but it's far from the best. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna fall right in between you guys. I I do appreciate, like Matthew said, there's an interesting world created here, but I just don't think they give it enough time to really build it. They don't give it any stories. They don't give it any history. They don't give it anything but a bunch of little jokes that the Doctor makes, the Doctor and Lucy make about the jellyfish people and all this. Uh, you know, you would think after 600 years of living among them, the Doctor might have a little respect for them, but doesn't seem to have gained any at all. So, um, so yeah, even even the world building falls falls a little flat. I do like that you know they're not all uh, bipedal hominids, but <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it just it it falls short in pretty much every way that it can. I agree with you. The cast is is 
everyone in this voice cast is talented and I, I i like the work that they're doing it's just that the stories doesn't come together at the end of the day so i think i'm gonna this might be the lowest one i've, I've ever given on the show but i think i'm gonna give it a 1.5 um i was i was wasn't sure if i was gonna go 1.5 or 2 but it just really not only does it not work and as we discussed it it's it, it just really i mean i i feel like it wasn't just me that was feeling that way. Right. Uh, it also tends to be a little on the dull side. Big Finish usually that is not a not even in their like lesser uh, things that I don't think are like the greatest things they've done. That's usually not a complaint I will make of Big Finish is them ever being dull. And this one, unfortunately, yeah, has the distinction of being the dull one. So it's like yeah, <laughs> and for, and to be a season finale and, and in a way that they're resolving a cliffhanger, I just think it was a like you said, it was a shot and a miss happens from time to time we know everybody involved in this is 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 wonderful talented people and no no offense to them but yeah they can't all be the best so (laughs) yeah nobody bats a thousand but uh, you know this one i don't think was even close Uh, yeah well so that's our take on orbis if anyone out there listening has a has a different take on orbis as we mentioned uh kyle at doctor who reviews seem to really enjoy this which i'm happy somebody does um Go ahead and uh, shoot us an email at uh, policeboxpodcast at gmail.com or get in touch with us through our Facebook page. Um, and let us know what you think about Orbis. And uh, if you have a different opinion, maybe uh, let us know why you enjoy this one and why we're all very wrong about it. So. Yes, please. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, always like to hear a differing opinion. In fact, I've been... Yeah. yeah. I've been swayed. I don't know if I've ever been swayed to be like, you all of a sudden change and be like, oh, yeah, okay, it's great now. But at least I, I like to hear that other people enjoy things even when i don't so um i guess that leaves us only one more thing to do and that is uh push the big red button on the machine that we call the randomizer and see what it is we're going to be covering for next time Next time on the show, we are going to be uh reading a Doctor Who graphic novel and this is a collection of classic uh uh, Doctor Who magazine strips uh, collected as Doctor Who Classics Volume 5 and uh, yeah so that'll be a good one it's a 5th Doctor era mostly 5th Doctor era book of Doctor Who magazine comic strips um, with uh, at the very end and I think this is the one that actually spun up on the randomizer here for me but at the very end a Doctor Lighter Doctor Less uh piece from doctor who magazine called skywatch seven that is the uh the piece that uh we're going to not necessarily focus on reading the whole book but that's the one that actually spun up that selected the book for us (laughs) uh, so yeah it'll be a fun one yeah but um yeah if anybody has a copy of that and wants to read along uh get reading that one and we will um be back to discuss that as uh next month and hope you guys will all join us again till then i want to say thanks to asad and matthew thanks for uh joining me and talking doctor who as always it's been a good time yes it's always great yeah well not always great but especially in this case <laughs> well it's great talking about always great tell us how you guys. really feel man no, like... <laughs> so. uh Yes, Orbis, not so great conversation, always great. So, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, and I appreciate it if everybody would come back and join us again on the Police Box and the Junkyard Podcast. Until then, I'm uh, Eric Branson. 
Asad Hishke. Matthew Kressel. Uh, have a good evening. Cheers. So long. Thanks for all the fish. Thank you for listening to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. A proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Join Eric Asad and Matthew next time for another random review from the worlds of Doctor Who. Everything ends. As always, sad. Send your feedback to policeboxpodcast at gmail.com and remember if you take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it. Until next time. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. It's the end that the moment has been prepared for. The Doctor Who theme was composed by Ron Grainer and arranged as Doctor Who Retro Theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC. Some of there's danger, some of there's injustice, somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace. We've got work to do. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.